infinite space to move if that's what he wants to do. Sermons will keep. <laughs> Come Holy Spirit. Touch your people. Before uh, I pray over our offering this week, I want to just kind of give you a reminder of all the different ways that you can, can give to the church. As I said before, we have uh, high-tech options and we have low-tech options. <laughs> the um, low-tech options... Right, I think I'm having a battery problem. Someone give me a couple of AAA batteries, please. So, first off, you can just drop it off if you're here. It's not an option for everyone, but we have some boxes there on either side of the sound booth, and uh, you can put uh, one of those old-fashioned things called checks in there. Oh, yeah, right here. Or cash. This is true. People are like, what? Uh, you can put a check in the mail if you prefer to do it that way. Or we've got some really high-tech options that you can uh, take advantage of. There are, you may notice, there are little stickers on the back of most of the chairs, and they have a QR code. You can scan that with your phone, and it'll take you to a web page, and then you can decide. It gives you a few options on how to give there. You can go to our website, we've got a smartphone app, and then there's also a text to give number uh, that you see up on your screen that you can use that. So however, it is, however God leads you to give, um, cash, check, credit, and we'll take it all for the glory of God, of course. So let's pray over, uh, over uh, our gifts. So Lord God, uh, today I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you are someone that we can always trust in. And, and that you are such an abundant God. And that out of the great love and the mercy 
that you have. You have given us so very much. And now as an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we just give back to you our tithes and our offerings. And with them, we want to worship you. We want to acknowledge your blessings upon us. Please just take them now and use them for your kingdom and your glory. And Father, most of all, multiply and extend the reach and influence that they may have. May they be a great blessing to many. And so we ask this in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right. This still is not working. There we go. All right. Allie and Colleen, would you like to come up here? We have uh, some guests this morning. I was teasing Allie earlier about calling her an old friend. <laughs> uh, we decided that longtime, that longtime friend was maybe better. <laughs> but Allie, if uh, most of you know, has been a friend of the vineyard for almost the entire time we've been at church. Uh, has been sort of around the perimeter in, in some way using our building and for other ministry activities. And uh, Colleen is a new friend, but uh, they are here to talk about a, um, a ministry that they're involved with uh, called Resurrection Disaster Relief. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn this over to you, and the floor is yours. probably good because I'm not the best at projecting my voice. Um, my name is Colleen Fabling and um, I am the director for a ministry called Resurrection Disaster Relief. And before I get into it, I want to say that I have a personal deep passion for this ministry. And it's personal because when I was 16, I was really, really broken. And I was hurting so much and I needed to see God in a really tangible way. And I was invited to serve with this ministry. And what I saw was people living out their testimonies and God radically using home repair and rebuilding to show us what he does in our hearts. When the body comes together, he rips away the broken and the moldy and the rotten and the falling apart, and then he rebuilds it in his name. And it's more beautiful than it ever was before. And so that is why... I do what I do. I served with the ministry for eight years before I took the director position, just um, under three years ago. So all that to say, I speak from personal experience to what this ministry does in the, in the heart of a volunteer and in the heart of someone who gets to see it every single day. So we are a faith-based nonprofit, and we started in 2011 rebuilding homes and lives after natural disasters and things like leaking roofs and, and toilets falling through the floor from, from leaks or families getting in a car accident and needing a handicapped ramp or bathroom or, or you name it. Um, if it has to do with a home repair pod project, we want to use it for the glory of God to represent the gospel. And so we've done that for years and years and seen God do amazing, amazing things. And one of the stories I want to share with you is from a man who lives right here in Ashland. His name is Mr. Edwards. And this is him in his brand new walk-in shower. When I met him, his bathroom floor was literally falling in. It was wet, soggy, falling in. And so was his bedroom and his hallway and his guest bedroom. He's an 82-year-old man who's a veteran and couldn't even walk into his bathroom 
to take a shower. He, it, it was one of the worst bathrooms I've ever seen, and I've seen some bad ones doing my job. Um, this man has such a deep love for the Lord, and he ministered to us so beautifully when we spent time with him as we were working on his project um, and, his, and getting him a safe home. Um, I love his heart and how he poured into us. And it's not always believers. Sometimes it's unbelievers. Sometimes it's a grumpy old man that we're <laughs> ministering to that, that comes to know Jesus because of what we're doing. But in this case, he lived just up the road, and his heart was massive. Um, he passed away just a few months ago, and I literally wept um, because I've built such a sweet relationship with each of these families that I've served. But Mr. Edwards has a huge, huge place in my heart, and I'm so glad we were able to meet his need, just like Scripture calls us to. Um, so since 2011, we've been doing these types of projects. At the beginning of last year, of, as you know, ministry as what we knew it, had to, we had to take a d deep breath and figure out what it was that we were going to be doing because we had a lot of elderly. We couldn't be in their homes like normal. And then a lot of my volunteers are elderly as well. And so we had, we had to stop and pray for wisdom for what God was going to use the ministry to do. And that leads me to share one of the greatest joys of last year. And Allie and I got to build this together with the Lord um, it was this vision to meet needs as far as groceries. And so um, we, with this amazing group of volunteers, um, over the past year, since last May, have served the first round of grocery outreach. We served 106 families with a week's worth of groceries completely free. The next round was 250 families, and we just completed our fifth round of this outreach, which has been incredible. And that means that over a 1,000 families have gotten the groceries and gospel right at their doorstep. We deliver them with scripture on the bags, a complete week's worth of groceries. These are foster families. These are low-income families. These are widows. These are elderly couples, families that have lost their jobs. You name it. And we want to be, the, it's all right here in the greater Richmond area. Um, and we have been able to meet that need, not only physically, but spiritually. And God has done amazing things in meeting people right where they are. One of my favorite stories was our first round. Um, I was sitting at my computer at my kitchen table, and I was praying, God, what's supposed to be in these bags? What is, what is the list of groceries we're putting in these bags? And I started writing down, writing down. And I just made this list. Um, we ordered it. I felt like this was exactly what we needed, what needed to be in these bags. Well, we finished round one, and that night at 9 o'clock, I'm exhausted. We have hundreds of volunteers working all these, you know, different pieces, and I get a, a text message from one of the single moms that we served, and she said, I'm em I was embarrassed to say this because I, I'm, I'm prideful and I don't want help, but I have to tell you how God saw me and knew me specifically in my need. She said, on Friday night, I came home, and my fridge was empty. And I told the Lord, this is just one more thing that's a burden on my plate. But I need to do it for my kids. So she wrote down specifically everything that she needed on her grocery list. And I have goosebumps. The next morning, she got a phone call from someone. She had no idea she was going to receive groceries. She was nominated anonymously. She had no idea. She got a call saying someone was going to drop off groceries. And when she got home that night, she looked in the bags. What was in the bags? 
everything that she wrote down, down to two loaves of bread and specific vegetables that only her son would eat. And it was a random group of vegetables that went in her bag. But she got peas and corn were the only two vegetables that her son will eat. We've seen stories like this happen over and over and over again, and it's incredible. And we are so excited to invite more people from the greater Richmond area to come in and be a part of this amazing work that God is doing. I'm going to hand the mic to Allie so she can share about one of our other um, organizations we're partnering with. Yes. We just sang Miracles Happen when he moves through us, right? And that's exactly what if, if you choose to partner with us for volunteering or whatever, that you will experience that. He is going to move through you mightily. It's amazing. We, were, um, we have the privilege of supporting uh, the organization in Richmond that's called Virginia Supportive Housing. And they are a transitional housing program for the chronic homeless, um, those that just can't get off the street and they bring them in and they house them and then they help them with uh, all kinds of other programs. But the, the bottom line is they have typically anywhere between 50 and 55 people living there at any given time. And so they are uh, a group that we supply groceries to. And I, I have to read this one little quote because the man, uh, this one man d was crying and he looked in at his cupboards. He said, I have never, had my cupboard, cupboards full before, ever. Um, that's powerful, that's really powerful. And I don't know that any of us can really understand what that feels like, but it, we can help, we can be a part of the solution. We also serve a group of VCU students from Ghana that are amazing people, and every one of them are so spirit-filled, and they encourage me all the time. Um, but I got, I got this message saying, I want to express my deepest thanks for the groceries that were delivered today. I'm grateful for the kind words of encouragement that were attached to the groceries. God bless you and everyone involved in this kind gesture. So, um, so we're here today because we're really excited about this. And we, uh, we just want to give the opportunity to allow you to come alongside us in whatever capacity that might be. So I'm going to turn it back to Colleen. So we first want to ask you guys to pray with us and for us. It takes a lot of energy and being filled with the Spirit in order for us to hear Him and have wisdom and discernment and to lead our volunteers, but then also as we meet with these families. Some of them are, are, are well, all of them are for different, all walks of life, and it is, it is incredible um, what God will do when we're at their, literally at their doorstep praying for the Lord to speak through us, and He sets people free or he lets them know, like this single woman, that they are known specifically by him. So please pray for us. Um, and you can come serve with us. We need like 66 volunteers to deliver groceries, but we need more than that. We need people to come pack on the Thursday night before. We need people to, to help sort groceries and inventory and things like that. It's a wonderful fellowship that we have um, during these events. And the next one is going to be May 22nd. And so the week leading up to that is when we'll be preparing and getting ready. We would love to have any of you come and serve with us and, and pack groceries or deliver them. And lastly, you can donate. Uh, RDR, Resurrection Disaster Relief, is a 501c3 nonprofit. So any gift that you give is tax deductible. Um, just some 
some, just so you can see it in your mind, $45 a month. It takes $45 for each family. So we raise $11,000 per event. $45 a month will feed 12 families in the next year. So um, a one-time gift of $135, that pays for three families to have groceries for our next round. And um, a one-time gift for $45 will feed one family this next coming round. Any gift that you give helps. If it's $5, that's great. We had someone give $4 last round. That is such a beautiful gift to me because he gave in faith knowing that that would make an impact in the kingdom and the work that we're doing. So, oh, I don't know what I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so please uh, pray about how you will be involved in this ministry with us. It really is beautiful to see God move through his people in really practical and tangible ways. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, if you want to uh, to be a part of this, I would encourage you to go out to their website. It's just resurrectiondisasterrelief.org. And uh, there's a form on there that you can fill out to volunteer. If you need more information, let me know. I can put you in touch with Allie and Colleen. And uh, so, uh, so pray about that and just see. And we're going to sort of talk about that as a church and to see what we may want to do sort of collectively if there's a way that... Uh, so we can serve as a church as well um, as anything that you may want to do individually. So, uh, so yeah. So thank you guys for coming and uh, and sharing that. That just sounds like such a great a great ministry. And uh, what a neat pivot you were able to do at the start of uh, the whole pandemic thing. All right. So now let's get into our angelic music. <laughs> So we've been doing this grounding series for Lent, and uh, the whole idea of behind this is to sort of get grounded uh, prior to the experience of Easter, right? Uh, the Resurrection Sunday that is now only about three weeks away. Uh, and so through this, this process of Lent, the idea is that we want to do things that will help draw us a little bit closer to God, to uh, work on our relationship with God in this time that we have. So in a sense, it's a little bit like Advent in that it's a time of preparation, sort of preparing our hearts and so forth. And so that's sort of the whole point behind the series. <coughs> now, to get into uh, what we have to uh, talk about today. So when you hear the name Sir Isaac Newton, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Apples, Apples right. Yep, m most people think about this story of um, the apple falling from the tree, hitting him in the head, and thereby leading him to discover gravity. Only problem is, only part of that story is true. The apple didn't hit him in the head, uh, as has been portrayed. It actually, he actually saw it fall in front of him, more like this uh, painting sort of portrays it. Um, and when he saw the apple fall, 
the thought, and this guy was just incredibly brilliant, and so most of us would probably look at that and go, oh, something fell out of the tree. He looked at it and he goes, now I wonder why it fell straight down rather than at an angle. That's just the way he thought, right? And so it was from that observation that the apple, when it fell, came straight down that he started to think about the theories of motion and, uh, and gravity that he later, you know, really pioneered. And uh, so he then spent like 18 months really studying and, and um, all that, and he wrote this book called Prin Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. And a lot of folks think it may be the single most influential book on the sciences that was ever written, before or since. Um, and... Um, and the thing is that even if you're sort of like me, you're not necessarily a fan of physics. I mean, I, I'm glad it's around, but <laughs> um, I'm not one of the people that really is qualified to talk about it. Uh, I think I got a C in college physics, and that was a gift, maybe. Um, <laughs> fortunately, my roommate at the time uh, was uh, a chemistry major and helped out a lot. But rather than, than you know, there, so Newton came up with these laws, right? Laws of motion. First law, second law, third law. And I don't want to turn this into a high school physics class. Uh, so what I'm really interested in today is this third law. That, and that's what I thought of when I was reading through this passage of Joel that uh, we're going to look at today. And... Um, the th Newton's third law of motion, and if you're unfamiliar with it or it's just been a while since you took physics in high school or whatever, says this, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. All right, so that's Newton's third law. It's probably uh, one of the easier ones to understand. <laughs> um, and like I said, after I was, as I was reading through this passage of Joel today, that's sort of what popped into my head. Uh, and so that's the reason that I'm calling this message God's Law of Spiritual Motion, all right? So before we get into that any, anymore, I want to actually read through this passage from Joel that I'm talking about. So uh, it's going to be on the screens, but if you have a Bible or uh, you want to look on an app and follow along, uh, this is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 27. So Joel 2, 12 through 27. So a little bit of a longer passage uh, so let's, let's, let's get into it. So Joel 2.12, 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? 
Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine will give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice of the Lord your God. For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plentiful, eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So... One might read that and kind of initially go, okay, well, what happened? I mean, what, this is obviously after something has occurred. So what it, was it that happened that results in Joel sort of sharing this word from the Lord with the people of Israel? Well, what happened is pretty typical of what tended to happen with the nation of Israel. They failed to worship God. They failed to obey God, uh, although we're not told specifically how, but, you know, just probably read three or four pages of the Old Testament, and it'll happen. Um, <laughs> it tends to be sort of one of those things that they didn't ever quite get and really grab onto. So all we know is that Israel was, was faithless in some way, right? And they became estranged from God. And so as a result, God has effected this natural disaster upon them. It was a plague of locusts, and it completely destroyed their crops. And then, if that wasn't enough, it was then followed by a drought. And so, in doing this, what God's doing is he's warning Israel about their unfaithfulness. Right? He's speaking them, to them in a language that they were sure to understand. And so, in the section that we just read, Joel is beseeching Israel to return. Right? This, is, this has happened. And so, he's telling them, look, it's time to return to God. And he enumerates what God's actions will be if only they would turn back to him. Okay, So as I'm looking at this, what I'm sort of seeing is that what Joel's prophecy is highlighting is how our action towards God results in his reaction towards us. So do you see now the, the relationship between Newton's third law, right? Every action results in an equal and opposite reaction, even although I don't think we would, for a moment, dare to call God's reaction equal <laughs> to anything that we do, right? 
Uh, but that's why I wanted to call this God's law of spiritual motion. I think if you were to put it another way, you might say that our single action results in God's perfect action. Our single action results in God's perfect action. So what does Joel indicate that our action should be, and then what does he say is God's reaction as a result? Well, I think our action clearly is to demonstrate tr true repentance. Right? And again, that goes along with this whole idea of the season of Lent and the, uh, the fact that it's an opportunity for us to sort of take stock of what our, what our lives are like, what our relationship with God is like, and if there are any of those areas that we need to get on our knees and repent about, we have that opportunity to do it. And if we will do that, demonstrate true repentance, then God's reaction is this outpouring of grace that's perfectly suited to our need. All right? So let's di dive into that uh, and unpack that a little bit more. So this, this first thing is that our action is to demonstrate uh, true repentance. And if we're talking about Israel in this case, true repentance was an inward action that was accompanied by an outward practice. Okay, So they were to complement one another. One was not to take the place of the other. And ancient Israel, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, was a nation that tended to wear its heart on its sleeve, right? They were very emotional and they got caught up in things. Um, but there was the, a danger in being like that. And the danger was that there are times when that outward, um, that outward emotion that they were uh, demonstrating could cover up what their heart and their wills were really feeling, right? I immediately thought that this is exactly what Jesus was constantly after the Pharisees about, right? In the language, I don't think Jesus said it quite this way, but what he was saying was that the, the Pharisees were all hat and no cattle. You ever heard that expression? All hat and no cattle. What it's saying is you can dress up like a cowboy, but it doesn't make you a cowboy right? And so Israel was sort of caught up in this idea that, oh, you know, if we, we sackcloth and ashes and we tear our clothes and it's, it's all this outward stuff that is demonstrated that looks like repentance, but if nothing's going on on the inside, you're not, that's not true repentance. It's just an outward appearance of repentance. See, God's not really interested in torn clothing. What he wants are broken hearts. Complacency is not going to satisfy God. Broken hearts will. And see, such repentance, is, it, it should never be this human mechanism that somehow we think, well, we can control God by doing this, right? That it's a way to ensure that we get what we want. Oh, well, I need that. Oh, so I better say I'm sorry, and you know, then God will give me all this thing that I want. That's not what it's all about. See, repentance, in many cases, it confesses the sin of trying to control the world. Because in so many cases, that's kind of what we do. Maybe not on that big of a scale, but we certainly try to control our own lives. 
See, and what repentance does is it recognizes that God is the one who's really in control. And by repenting, we, say, we acknowledge that. And we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've tried to run things. If we're honest, we would also have to say, and I've not done a very good job of it either. So help, right? I think Wimber often said that that was uh, probably the most effective prayer you can pray. Help! One word, right? One word. See, this idea of rending your heart, it's about changing your attitude, right? The change in attitude is the outward practice that really should be noticeable to others, right? So you don't need to tear your clothing, put ashes on your head. I mean, those were all practices that were part of, of ancient Israeli culture. But today, we don't do those things anymore. But it doesn't mean that someone should not notice that you have repented and therefore changed the way you behave. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, when real repentance happens, the results can be staggering. I've been part of um, men's ministry for a number of years. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard some variation of this particular comment by men who I will then encounter after this retreat has occurred, right? So usually uh, at some point what they'll say later is that it, after some point of returning home, their wife will look at them like right in the eye and say, who are you and what have you done with my husband? See, that's the power of true repentance. That someone is so changed that their own wife, somewhat comically, but is like, I'm not sure I know this person. I mean, I like what I'm seeing, but is this for real? Right? It doesn't seem real. But that's the power of it. And so Joel is giving God, or excuse me, giving Israel this encouragement to do this, to turn back to God. And the way he does it is kind of interesting. He points out what God's character is in doing so. So he says he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relents over disaster. These are all the things that he's telling them up front. That this is the God that you can turn to. This is a God you can trust. And so scripture tells us that God never changes. So those same characteristics are present in God now that were back then. So let me just ask you, is he calling you to repent from something? And if he is, don't delay in doing it. Now's the time. So then... The second half of this, well, what is God's reaction when we will do that? And I think what the text shows us is that it's an outpouring of grace that's perfectly suited to our need. Okay? So when we take that first step of truly repenting, God responds with this outpouring of his grace. What that's going to look like is going to vary. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, towards the end, but to sort of preview that, we don't want to make a formulaic, um, 
We don't want to make scripture ever formulaic, right? So it would be easy to maybe take this scripture and go, oh, well, if I repent, then God's going to do A, B, and C. But it doesn't always work that way. What we know is that there will be an outpouring of grace. How, what that's going to look like, that's totally up to God, all right? And we know that because it says God knows the plans he has for you. And so we can be confident that whatever that grace, however that grace comes to us, it's going to be perfectly suited to our need. So in Israel's case, what did that look like? What does the passage tell us it would look like? Well, first, God relented and he withdrew his anger. Now, what's interesting, and he says that in verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And the interesting thing about the word that's chosen here, see, when we hear that word jealousy, we kind of think of it like it's like a petty or a bitter attitude, right? If we describe someone as jealous, it's usually not a compliment. But as a divine attribute and as it was used at that time, Jealousy denotes a passionate concern and a zealous love for whatever the object of that jealousy is. And then there's also this word pity. And the Hebrew verb that's used here has this double nuance of showing, not only showing compassion, but sparing from disaster as well. So it emphasizes God had this desire to pardon or spare from this impending fate that uh, is being talked about. Second thing was that God provided what they needed. Right? So based on if the nation was, would respond properly, and by that we refer back to point one, with true repentance, then God promises that he will restore all that was lost in that plague. Right? So the compassion and justice of God are really seen very clearly in this. He not only promised that he would forgive, but he's going to restore everything that had been lost. And then third, God eliminated the shame that they had. Verse 26b says, And my people shall never again be put to shame. And what's sort of interesting about this is that the references to the ending of shame kind of circle back because the same verb in Hebrew is used here as in some of the previous verses where it talked about you know, the produce being dried up and the despair and withered away. That's what's going to happen to the shame of Israel. Those same things will then happen. So it sort of brings the story full circle. And as I, as I sort of alluded to earlier, there's an important lesson that I, I don't want us to miss. And that is this idea that we never want to take something that God does and turn it into a formula. Right? See, the three things that we see God doing in this passage were his perfect response for Israel at the time they were in based on what had happened to them. The thing is, when we repent of something and we do it earnestly and sincerely, God responds with an outpouring of his grace and it will be perfect. It will be a perfect reaction to whatever it is that is going on in our lives. 
Now, when we do that, we may feel like a giant weight's been lifted off of our shoulders. It's a very common response when people repent of something, especially if it's a sin or just something that they've been carrying for a very long time. It's just they don't even realize how weighted down they've become. And so when they actually finally go before God and say, Lord, this is what you know, I, I've been dealing with. Will you please take it from me? I mean, it literally feels like this thing has been lifted off their shoulders. People sometimes feel a freedom like nothing they've ever felt before. Again, I think it's so, somewhat similar to this idea of a weight. You know, they're just able to, like, oh my gosh, I feel so different. We might be blessed in some physical way. It may be health. It may be wealth. It could be provision of some kind. That can happen. Or we may simply have the satisfaction of finally being obedient to God. Because there's a lot of satisfaction that can, be, can occur as a result of that. If we've been avoiding that for so long and we finally get down on our knees and say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. So however God chooses to respond to the act of repentance that you make, know that the end result is going to be a growth and a maturing of your character and in your relationship to God. So to sort of conclude this, um, ran across this story, and I believe it's from the Middle Ages. And it's about a young woman who was expelled from heaven. I don't, doesn't say why. But she was told that she would be readmitted if she brought back the one gift that God valued the most. So she goes out and she brings back drops of blood from a dying saint. She collects coins that were given by a destitute widow to the poor. She brought back a remnant of a Bible that was used by an eminent preacher of the word. She even brought back the dust from the shoes of missionaries who had served in distant lands for many, many years. And although she brought back all of these things, she was repeatedly turned away. One day she was watching a small boy playing by a fountain. And she saw this man ride up on horseback and dismount and take a drink. And when he saw the boy playing, the man thought about his own childhood and the innocence that he'd had at that time in his life. But then as he bent over to get a drink from the fountain, he saw a reflection of his face and he noticed how hard it was and how lined. And in that moment, he was overcome by the sin that was in his life. And in that moment, he wept tears of repentance. And the young woman took one of those tears back to heaven where she was received with joy. See, in Newton's third law of motion, there's always a force that has to initiate the action. And the same thing exists with the spiritual law of motion. And the initiating force is repentance. And so in this time of Lent, as we strive to deepen our relationship with God, 
while we look forward in just three weeks to celebrating Jesus' resurrection, just, I just want to encourage you to do some self-reflection, to examine your life, your relationship with God, and look for anything, I mean, even the smallest thing that you could turn to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've let this creep into my life. I know just in the spirit of total honesty, I have, I have to be very, very careful when I get up in the morning with my quiet time. Because if I'm not very jealous about that, I'll pick up my phone or my tablet and I'll start messing around on that. And before I know it, an hour's gone by. And now I'm trying to rush through what should have been a very relaxed and, and quiet time with God. So that's something that I have repented from. And uh, currently I'm doing much better at. But you have my permission to ask me. <laughs> how are you doing? See, because that's how we keep each other on the straight and narrow path. It's, it's, it's accountability, right? So if there's something that you're, you're, you know, that if there's something that you find yourself having to repeatedly repent for, then it might be a good idea to find somebody that can ask you those hard questions and say, okay, how are you doing here? You know, is this still an issue? And, and that can make a huge difference to, ha to know that you're gonna have to give a report to somebody and say, well, not so good, right? Um, but know that, as we saw, that in that, that time of repentance, when you do that, there is this outpouring of grace in, that will look completely different for everyone, but that will come into your life as a result of that. Right? So let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the words of, of Joel. And as he encourages the nation of Israel to, to repent from all of the things that they had done that had caused you to turn from them. It is such a great comfort for us to know that your character is such that we don't face retribution or anger or all of the things that we might in a human situation that, that you are, are so different. That you will open your arms and love us if we come before you and say, Father, I am so sorry. And we have that ability to do that now, each one of us, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Where in that moment that he died, the curtain was torn, which was symbolic of the barrier that was between us and God. And so we use this opportunity now to celebrate the gift that that was for us in this act of Holy Communion. And I will say that if you will look in front of you, somewhere nearby there should hopefully be a little cup and uh, with a wafer and some juice in it. If there's not one in front of you, 
Uh, there may be one in the chair behind you. And so we're going to, I'm going to uh, pray over the elements and then um, we're going to all take communion together. So, Father, as we remember that, we remember that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread. He gave you thanks for it. And then he asked you to bless it. And after that, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take this, all of you, and eat, for this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then later on in the meal, he took a cup and again, asked his father to bless it. And he gave you thanks. This too, he took and shared with his disciples. And he said, take this all of you and drink. For this is the cup of my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Blood that was shed for you and for many. For the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so. And remember me. So Father, now we offer up this these simple elements of bread and juice. And we ask that in this time that you would make them to be for us your body and your blood. We consecrate them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for this way of, of remembering your work on the cross as a way of nourishing ourselves spiritually for the week that we have before us. Let us take you with us as we go into this week, sharing not only our faith, but our attitude, so that others may come to know you simply because of the way we are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chip, would you come?